Today, you've joined us in week three of our series that we're calling Ordinary People. And in this series, we are looking at the supporting cast of the Bible, if you will, right? We're looking at the people who appear only momentarily, but that God uses mightily. The big idea that we're using for this series is that God uses ordinary, everyday people like you and me to accomplish extraordinary purposes. One of our values as a church, we call it personal ministry. And we define that as the reality that you and I are servants. Last week, Dean talked a lot about how as a church, we are often, we face a unique challenge. I guess you could say we are often multiplying and we are sending people out to use their gifts and abilities to to reach more people in our community, whether that's uh, starting new campuses or planting new churches or whatever that looks like. We're often sending people out because we are a multiplying church. But because of that, we've then faced the constant tension of needing more people to step in and to use their gifts to serve because often we're sending people out to do those exact same things. So throughout this series, we are showing you a graphic. You'll see it on the screen behind me. And it's a list of all of the current service opportunities here in our church, all the ways that you could get connected onto a team here at LifePoint. And our goal is by the end of this series to run all these numbers down to a bunch of zeros, all right? So you get to help us out with that. Uh, The first week we did it, I think we were somewhere around 130, 140. And then last week we were at 119. And then this week we're all the way down to 80. So it's going down and we're excited about that. Yeah, you can... You can give yourself a pat on the back there. And so today, it's doubled every week, so today it should be at zero, all right? So we just, uh, no, I'm just kidding. We're, we're, so, we're uh, so excited that you've been signing up to serve, and we'd love to do that, have you do that today. And I'll tell you a little bit more as we get closer to the end of the service about how you can actually do that. Today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 35 and 36, as Megan told us earlier. And I'm going to introduce you to two people in the Bible that I can almost guarantee you've never heard of before. But from their story, we're going to learn more about the heart that we need to have if we're ever going to be able to make a difference in God's kingdom. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you today, take it out, open it up to Exodus chapter 35, verse 30. While you're opening there, I'll just give you a little bit of like backstory, some insight onto what we're about to read. So the book of Exodus gets its name from the story that dominates the first half of the book. The Israelites, God's chosen nation, are held in captivity. They are in slavery in Egypt under the ruling, the hand of Pharaoh. And so God saves his people, he frees them from captivity, and then he appoints a guy named Moses to lead them on an exodus, a giant exit of people, out of the land of Egypt. That's how the book Exodus gets its name. But then as we go to the second half of the book, the focus of the book changes. Now that they're out of slavery, we begin to ask the question, what's next, right? (laughs) Like what, what happens now? Well, what we see is that while they are out, once they're freed from slavery, God begins to invite these people into personal relationship with him. He says, hey, listen, if you want it, it's your choice, but if you want it, you will be my people and I will be your God. He's gonna use his relationship with the Israelites to show the rest of the world the kind of God that he really is. And of course, it's probably the fastest response that anyone has ever gotten, right? They know where they just came from. It's like, awesome, God, this is so cool. Like, yeah, we're totally in. And one of the beautiful parts about their newly formed relationship with God is that he says that 
in a similar way to how it worked in the Garden of Eden, that he's going to send his spirit to dwell amongst them. But this time, that's going to be in like a, a portable tent structure, if you will, called the tabernacle. So here, where we pick up this morning in Exodus 35, 30, we're going to see as God calls the two ordinary everyday people to oversee the construction of this tabernacle project. All right, so here we go. Verse 30 says this. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, see the Lord has called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled them with the spirit of God, with skill and intelligence, with knowledge and all sort of craftsmanship. Jumping down now to verse 34. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamech of the tribe of Dan. And he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work. As we look at this story today, we're gonna get to observe one of the beautiful parts of the Bible. God's word fits together perfectly, seamlessly. The Bible's a book that was written by more than 40 authors, many of whom didn't know each other, they never met each other, they spoke a variety of different languages, and that writing took place over the course of 1,500 years. Yet it fits together perfectly like the pieces of a puzzle. So back in week one of our series, Matt Mars looked at the story of how God calls the disciples. And based on that, Matt made three observations about how God calls people. And what's beautiful is this story that we're reading in Exodus, thousands of years before, it's the exact same. Those three observations apply perfectly. Here's, here's the first observation that Matt made. Matt said this, every Christian is called by God to do ministry. Now here, we see a similar point being made as God is calling Bezalel and Aholiab, these two ordinary guys, to do ministry. He's calling them into kingdom work. But he doesn't call them to be pastors. He doesn't call them to be worship pastors or student pastors, right? He calls them to use the gifts and abilities that he's given them to oversee the construction of the tabernacle. He calls them into construction work. Right? And this doesn't just happen with the disciples. It doesn't just happen with Basilel and Aholiab. It happens throughout the entire story of scripture. Every Christian, every person in relationship with God is called by God to do ministry. Here's the second observation that Matt made. He said this, God equips people to accomplish the work that he's called them to do. All right, again, it's not just this way in the story of the disciples here. God calls Bezalel and Aholiab, and then he empowers them and equips them to do the work that he's called them to do. The third observation Matt made was this. Our job is to be obedient to whatever it is that God has called us to do. Right? So if every Christian has been called by God to do ministry which we have, <laughs> and every Christian is going to be empowered and equipped by God to accomplish that ministry, which we will, then our job is just to be obedient. It's to put our yes on the table, right? Say, God, if, if you'll use me, then, then use me, right? So the disciples are called and equipped by God. They respond in obedience, and then he uses them in a mighty way. Same structure here. Basil Aholiab are called and equipped by God. They respond in obedience and then he uses them in a mighty way. Today, as we continue to look at what it means that God uses ordinary everyday people, I wanna dive just a little bit deeper with you to talk about what it means to have the heart of a servant. 
How many of you know that you can, you can give two people the exact same job, same job description, same interview. You could pay them the exact same amount. You could give them the exact same training. Some of you already know where I'm going and you're thinking of your coworkers, don't do that, right? You could give them the exact same training. They could even have the exact same skill sets and you can still get different results from their work, right? I feel like I, I observe this effect with my, my kids even now, right? My boys are, are four and seven. And as they've gotten a little bit older, one of the things that we've tried to do is we've tried to teach them, give them hands-on opportunities to learn what it means to work hard, right? So in my house, we've started this thing called Yard Work Saturdays, <laughs> Yard Work Saturdays. And all the teenagers in the room went, ugh. Um, no, not that. We started this thing in my house called Yard Work Saturday. So Saturday rolls around 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning and I lead the boys outside to accomplish some sort of landscaping adventure, right? It's not a project, it's an adventure. I try to lead it like it's an amazing opportunity, right? So like today we're going to save the world by trimming the bushes. You know what I'm saying? Like those are the kinds of things we do on Yard Work Saturdays. And at first, this was awesome, right? They, they enjoyed it, they loved it, they were excited, yard work Saturdays out, what are we doing? And then, <laughs> I thought I had figured something out, I thought I was smart. <laughs> and all you veteran parents in the room, you know what happens next. Then, after a few weeks, they did not love it anymore. <laughs> they were over yard work Saturdays, you with me, right? What happens? That what once had been the source of enjoyment was now the source of half an hour of crying and frustration to get them out the door for yard work Saturdays, right? This is, this is what it looks like in my house. What, what happened? What changed? Well, the heart behind the action changed, right? The attitude toward the action changed. One of the parts about being a servant that's important, it's important that we don't overlook that we're not just trying to go through the motions of a servant. We're trying to have the heart of a servant if we wanna make a difference in the kingdom of God. So here today in Exodus 35 and 36, we get some great insights as to what it looks like to have the heart of a servant. And I just wanna share those insights with you today. If you're taking notes, we're gonna call these the three attitudes of a servant, the three attitudes of a servant. Here is the first attitude of a servant that we see in this passage, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. We see this in the beginning of chapter 36 in verse one. Here's what it says. Bezalel, a holy ab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work, what kind of work? Any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work. One of the most common mistakes that we can make as Christians is to allow ourselves to demean the things that God has called us to do because they don't seem like the most sensational opportunities in our eyes. They don't seem like maybe the most sensational opportunities in the eyes of others. But here with Bezalel and Aholiab, they are called and equipped by God into construction work. Now, for some of us in the room, you think about all the details that go into that and the engineering and the architecture and all the stuff that was gonna happen, and that excites you, right? It's a sensational opportunity. But for others of you, there are a million other jobs that you would rather do than the one that they were called to do. It wasn't a sensational opportunity to you. 
As I was studying these tabernacle chapters, I noticed that in chapter 35, just one chapter before, there's some women who are called and equipped by God to spin goat's hair, to make fine linens for the temple. And while you and I may, we probably may, maybe we disagree about whether or not a construction oversight project is a sensational opportunity. I think it's cool. Maybe you don't think it's cool. I think we could probably all agree that the least sensational opportunity in the temple was spinning goat's hair, right? I think we could probably agree on that. Well, actually, let me just, let me pause here for a moment. I'm gonna be totally honest with you. Don't judge me, okay? Uh, I had someone come up to me after the first service when I made this confession and they were judging me. So just just don't judge me, okay? I realized as I read this and saw that, that there were two women who had been called and equipped by God to spin goat's hair for the fine linens in the temple, I realized that I didn't actually know what a goat looked like. Now, I've, I've, now hang on with me for a second. I've seen a goat before, surely, right? Like I've been to a pumpkin patch before. I've seen a goat and it's eating stuff and it makes a weird sound. Like I've seen a goat before. But when I read this in my ADHD brain, as soon as I read they spun goat's hair, right? What am I, all I could do is picture, what, how? There's no way that they're actually, this is the worst job. Like, how do they make that into something? So I did what any reasonable person would do. I just started Googling, like goat with spin hair. Like, what do you, what does this even look like? I, I had to figure out the answer. And so boy, was I wrong. Goats do have some pretty incredible hair. So let me show just in case you're weird like me, let me show you a picture of a goat with some pretty great hair. Check this out. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Not the greatest football player of all time. Let me show you a picture of an actual goat with great hair. Check this out. <laughs> oh, man. He's not here today, so just, <laughs> just um, you, uh, you saw that. That's our lead pastor, by the way. It is Photoshop. There were some questions afterwards. It's not real. Oh, man. Okay, okay. Now, let me show the actual picture of a goat with great hair, all right? So this is the real one, okay? So in case you're weird like me, maybe you didn't know that goats had long hair, could have long hair, here's a picture of a goat with hair, right? How do we even, where do we get, where, where were we? Oh yeah, here we are, here we are. When it came to the Israelites, it didn't matter what the job was, right? doesn't matter if it's a sensational opportunity in the eyes of others. doesn't matter if it's construction work or it's spinning goat's hair. All that mattered to them was that they had an opportunity to be a part of the project, right? To be used by God. The first attitude of a servant is the attitude that says, I will do whatever it takes, right? God, if, God, if you'll use me, then I'll do whatever you want me to do. It's the heart that would be bold enough to pray, God, inconvenience me for your kingdom if that's what you want to do, right? It's the heart that understands that, that serving is not about self-service. Serving is about self-sacrifice. I love how Dean said it last week. He said, we don't serve around discomfort and around inconvenience. We find a way to serve through discomfort and inconvenience. Bezalel, Aholiab, the rest of these Israelites or Israelite brothers and sisters understood what it meant to have a whatever it takes kind of attitude. Here's the second attitude of the heart that we see in this passage. However he wants. The he in this case being God. 
Ultimately, we know that as Christians, it's our job to be obedient, to do however God wants us to do, whatever it is that he's called us to do. We see this at the end of that first verse in chapter 36. Let me read it again, but this time I'm going to add the end on to it. Bezalel, Aholiab, and every craftsman in whom the Lord had put skill and intelligence know how to do any sort of work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. I think it's interesting that throughout these tabernacle chapters, the people are accomplishing work. They're accomplishing tasks without any real input of their own. God gives them the plan for the tabernacle and it's their job just to execute. It's kind of like if you've ever, you know, you've ever built a box of Legos before, you've ever built a, a Lego thing before, right? You open the box and you dump out the Legos and out come the Legos, which are all of your resources. And then out comes the step-by-step guide. And your job, if you want to make your Millennium Falcon 10,000 pieces, whatever, is your job is to just do this. <laughs> it is literally this. And I realize this probably looks weird if you've never done Legos before, but I mean, that, this is what it is, right? You look at the picture and we'll be honest, sometimes the pictures could be better. So you spend half an hour trying to figure out where you're supposed to put this one, but this is it. You've been given a step-by-step guide and it's just your job to execute the plan. Here, the Basil Eloholiab, their crew, they're not going into the desert on some sort of creative visionary retreat to try to map out the end result. God gives them the plan and it's just their job to execute. They understand what it means to say, God, not my way, your way. God, if that's the way that you want it to be done, that's exactly the way that we'll do it. Now, maybe you and I, right, we sit in here today and maybe sometimes it would be easier if we had a step-by-step guide from God, right? If we could wake up tomorrow on Monday morning and we open up the instruction page, you know, whatever page you're on and you open it up and it says, okay, today you're gonna roll out of bed, you know, half a cup of coffee, you'll thank me later. And then we're gonna, you know, then you'll go to work and then you're gonna do that, right? And you just have some sort of a step-by-step plan. And while we don't get that from God, we don't get a minute by minute breakdown of our lives. What we do believe that we get in the Bible is every single principle, every single instruction that we need to accomplish the work that God has called us to do, to build up the kingdom. The key here is we have to read it, right? And then we have to, we have to look at it. We have to pray and say, God, would you help me to see how this applies to my situation? Would you help me understand what you want me to do from this? And then we actually have to apply it. We have to be obedient. We have to apply it to our situation. So Basil Holyad, the rest of their Israelite construction crew understood what it meant to do this. They understood what it meant to get the plans from God and just to execute. Now, let me give you a, a quick example of how this can play out, how this heart attitude can play out in a local church. So we believe that every Christian has been given a mission by God. Chris actually referenced this a couple of minutes ago. He said, that it's called the Great Commission, right? Jesus, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, gave every Jesus follower for all time the same big picture mission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, teach people to obey all that I've commanded you, make disciples. You can read it at the end of Matthew 28. We call it the Great Commission. This is the big picture mission for every single Jesus follower, not just the ones in this room, all across the world. We all have the same big picture mission. But stay with me here. So, so what happens is, From this big picture mission, 
it starts to kind of get more specialized, right? So the way that we operate, your role and my role, all of our roles are different in how we contribute to the great commission being fulfilled in the earth, right? So I believe in this stage of my life that God has called me to be a student pastor, which means I'm gonna wake up tomorrow morning and I'm gonna come into the office and the first thing I'm gonna do is go, what are we doing next Sunday night? How am I helping to, to right? I, fulfill the great commission in that way. But for you, it's going to look different, right? Maybe you wake up tomorrow and it's your day off. And then maybe Tuesday is the day that you, you work the night shift. And so you're going to go in and you're going to figure out, okay, God, how do you want me to fill the, fulfill the great commission in this place that you've called me? It all looks different. So you take the great commission and, and then we believe from this big mission that we all have that God calls and equips specific people to lead local churches. We call them lead pastors or senior pastors. Or pa I don't know why there's so many names for it, but people call it a lot of different things. We believe that God calls pastors to oversee local churches. And just like you and me, they have to be obedient. So as they are obedient to respond to that call that God has placed in their life, we believe that God gives them vision for how he wants to use that church to transform the community around it. So we believe that we could take this same heart attitude and we can apply it here at LifePoint. We could say, we, we could feel confident in saying that God has called our lead pastor and given him a vision for how he wants to, how he wants to use our church to transform the community around us. So this means that we don't walk in the door on a Sunday morning and say, I'll serve, but it's my way or the highway. <laughs> we don't say, I'll serve, but it's my vision or no vision. We just come under the vision that God has given our lead pastor for how he wants to use this church to transform our community. We don't believe that a, a pastor has special access to God. We don't believe that a pastor has been given special privileges by God. We just see our pastor as someone who has been called and equipped by God to lead a local church. And as members of that church, we humbly rally around that vision and support it in any way that we can. Here's the third attitude of the heart that we see in this passage. We get to do this. This morning, as you look at the example of the Israelites, we're not just observing them go through the motions of serving. We are observing what happens when their hearts are invested in what God has called them to do. Watch what happens here in verses three through six. Let me read this for you. And then they received from Moses all of the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring so much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the sanctuary. See, when you understand how incredible it is that the God of the universe knows you personally. Have you ever thought about that? Spent actual time thinking about that? The God of the universe knows you personally and still chose you and me personally. God knows you personally and he still chose you personally. I think it's impossible to have an attitude that would say, you, you want me to do this? 
the Israelites, they're, they're like the perfect case study in what, what you and I should be, I think. The Israelites, they understand this. They understand how crazy it is, right? They, they look at the rear view mirror of their life and what do they see behind them? Slavery, captivity. They were, they were lost, but now they're found, right? They were bound in captivity, but now they're free. You see, I'm saying as believers, right? What, what's, in our, what's in our rear view mirror? You and I were lost. We were trapped in our sin. We were hopeless. We were stuck with no way to help ourselves. And that's what's in the rear view mirror. But God, but God said, you're not gonna stay there any longer, right? God invites us into relationship with him and he saves us. And he doesn't just set us off to the side like some completed project. He says, get over here, we gotta go, right? The Israelites understand what they've been saved from. And now they just, they get a, part, a chance to be a part of the project and they go and they go and they go until there's nothing else to be done. They have to be stopped, sent home. You cannot help anymore. As I close, let me, just, let me just give you a little more insight as to why we're doing this series. It's our hope that through this series, all of us, you and me both, would be reminded how incredible it is, how fortunate we are that God loves us. Let that never be lost on us. How fortunate we are that the God of the universe knows us and still loves us. And then that we, would, that we would understand how blessed we are that God chooses us. And then we use this series as a platform to tell you that God didn't just save you from something, he saved you for something. That God has a plan for your life and it's not some big, crazy, imaginary goal that you, maybe you'll hit someday. God wants to use you to build his kingdom in your family today. He wants to use you to build his kingdom at your job tomorrow. He wants you to join a team here at LifePoint so that he can amaze you at all that he can do through you. We're not recruiting volunteers. We're challenging, encouraging all of us to step into our God-given potential. You and I have been called by God to do ministry. We have been equipped by God. We'll continue to be equipped by God to accomplish that ministry. We just have to put our yes on the table. We just have to be obedient to his calling and continue to develop the attitudes of the heart that would say, God, I will do whatever it takes. I will do, I'll do it however, however you want me to do it. And I'm not doing this because I have to do this. I'm doing this because I get to do this. Whether today is gonna to be the beginning of your journey serving on a team here at LifePoint, that'd be awesome. Or it's the continuation of your journey and you've already been serving for a long time. Whether you're already living on mission in every area of your life or you're just beginning to see how God wants to use you to build his kingdom in every area of your life. It's our prayer for you that these would be the attitudes that would flow out of your heart as you are obedient to God's leading. 
It's our prayer that these are the, the attitudes that would flow out of our church so that we get to be a part of how God wants to use this church to transform our community. Let me pray for you. God, we are so humbled and we are so thankful that we get the opportunity to be a part of your kingdom work. Whether we've been serving for 20 years or today's the first day, Lord, I pray that it would never be lost on us what is in the rear view mirror of our lives. God, that you have saved us not just from something, but God, you've saved us for something and you've called us to be partners with you to build your kingdom. Lord, let that not be lost on us today. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to be obedient to where you're calling us to go, to what you're calling us to do. Give us the boldness that we would find a way to not work around discomfort, but to serve through it. God, thank you for how you love us. I love you so much. Your name, amen. Well, hey, church, maybe, maybe today while we sang or while we talked, you felt God leading you to begin a personal relationship with him. Right, or maybe today you wanna talk to somebody about going public with your faith through baptism. We love that. In fact, perfect timing. Next Sunday morning, baptisms will be happening. And so if you're ready to baptize, you've been thinking about it, we'd love to help you start that process. Or maybe today you're in here and you'd just like somebody to pray for you before you leave. You could do all of that back in the next steps area. If you'll exit today over your right shoulder, back down this breezeway, you go on the right-hand side, there is a door, a glass door that says next steps. Our volunteers are there, they're wearing gray t-shirts and they would love they are get to people. They would love the opportunity to get to help you respond to whatever God's activity is in your life today. Secondly, as you know, as a church, we have been, uh, we've been prayerful over the last few weeks where the people have been affected by Hurricane Ian down in Florida. I specifically am thankful for those of you that have been praying because that's where I'm from, uh, that most of my family lives in Florida. I was seeing pictures, my mom was posting of everything like flooded and crazy. Uh, Florida is the, the great state where I first saw a goat. Uh, so it holds a special place in my heart. And uh, I just wanna say that we're so thankful that you've been praying. And I wanna show you a picture of the nine sin relief centers that are currently active. They're mobilized throughout Florida, helping respond and helping people have been affected by the hurricane. I'll show you one picture of the, one of the relief centers that's active right now on McGregor Avenue in Fort Myers. This is not too far from where I grew up. And so I love that I get to get to show you this. This is a, this one relief center has already provided meals for 165,000 people who have been affected by the hurricane. So as always, thank you for your prayers. Yeah, we can clap for that. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your generosity and how you give, how you leverage your financial resources to help us make a difference, not just here in our church, not just here in our community, but also nationally and globally. If you'd like to give your tithes and offerings today, you can do that and with our app, LifePoint Ohio app. You can do it on lifepointohio.com. You can give in the black boxes that you'll see as you leave today. And lastly, if you would, we would love it if today you would take the first step 
towards joining a team here at LifePoint. We tried to make it as easy as possible. Today, as you leave, you're gonna walk right across the lobby over to conference room B, big old room over there, and you'll see different ways that you can serve. You'll hear helicopters, ADHD, I'm sorry. Uh, you'll hear uh, all of our staff there and everything that's going on. They'll, they'll be willing to help you to answer questions about what it means to serve, and we'd love for you to take that opportunity. Um, I will shamelessly plug and say that you should serve in students because it's awesome, uh, and you get to hear these people every Sunday night, but either way, there's lots of different places that you get to serve.